welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Hey, Jeremy. You sound a bit funny. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. What do you, what do you mean? I, I, I don't get it. <laughs> so, as we mentioned last week, folks, Jeremy's on vacation this week, and in his place, Seb has graciously jumped into the place. So, thanks, buddy, for coming on. Good to see you. You're more than welcome. It's great to uh, to see you, Paul. It's it's great to uh, to be Jeremy for a couple of minutes, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll take your word for it, since uh, I don't I don't have enough hair to be to be Jeremy for a while, so <laughs> it's all gone. Um, thanks for jumping on here to do intro. And not only are you taking his place with the audio, but you brought Microsoft News to the table for us because I couldn't find any. So, <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. I did I did my work right. I do my research, and I make sure I if I come to the show, I come with the right thing. <laughs> Excellent. So so the link he sent me, the title is Microsoft. Microsoft JavaScript SDK v3 upgrade guide. And my initial thought was, Microsoft has a JavaScript SDK? <laughs> yes. Uh, no, it's actually a, uh, it's, it's potentially a typo when we, uh, when we announced it four days ago. We actually announced the new, newly released version of the Microsoft Graph JavaScript um, SDK. A ton of new improvements over there, lots of, especially around authentication and around the, the ease of use of that, uh, of, of using the SDK. There's even a little bit of a, uh, a contribution by myself in there and, and that I'm going to talk a little bit later when we're going to talk about the community, but around the chaos handler that, that is in there. And there was a, a huge effort from the team to, to get it out. And we're already seeing uh, really interesting numbers on, on, on getting to use the, the JavaScript um, SDK v3. So if you're using... Two point something. I highly encourage you to jump onto the V3. There's an upgrade guide on what you need to do and what you don't have to do to uh, to get the V3 working. So it's great, and the team has been working really hard to get it out. So we're happy to see it uh, finally out there. You mentioned Chaos Handler, so we're going to scramble the order of our links a little bit. So I had heard about the Chaos Handler before, and you mentioned it in the context of a link that from Cam Dwyer, who's simulating 429 throttling in Microsoft Graph API, SharePoint, and OneDrive workloads. And so it's a great link from Cam, as usual, talking about how you can tell the SharePoint service to give you back a throttling response, which which is helpful, but only works in SharePoint. So what is this chaos handler that you're referring to and how would I use that? So the first time I heard about the chaos handler was uh, here in Montreal, uh, Daryl Miller did a session with us and it actually used to be called the monkey handler or something like that. Like just like basically breaking purposely your app by sending random 429s. So basically it's a handler that you hook up into your uh, middleware uh, array that you're using either with the C, the, the, the C Sharp SDKs or the JavaScript SDKs. And you can just tell the chaos handler to return every 10 requests, return me a 429. And I want to make sure that I do handle those in a way that my app is not breaking and that my app supports throttling. The article that Cam, uh, though, uh, sent is really interesting because it's, it's, it's using the um, test 429 query string on SharePoint endpoint, but also supported as part of graph just for SharePoint endpoints. 
So you can do that um, also uh, in Graph Explorer. So you can really see what's the response that will be coming back from a specific service. Um, so that's, that's an interesting way to understand how the service is working and how to um, manage your code to make sure that it does not break when uh, it's under some heavy loads. Yeah, the one thing that struck me is I kind of prefer this query string parameter to say, I know I want a 429 response here so that I can handle it in my code. The randomness bit, I don't know that I would care. If I'm writing a unit test, the unit test, I want it to be the same every time, right? And so interesting approach. So I, I really like that. And, and thanks to Cam for putting this article out there. And he uses Graph Explorer to demonstrate some of it too, which um, leads me to my next link that we found a, a bunch of videos on the Microsoft 365 developer YouTube channel, Aicha and Rabia and Betty Rose. Uh, Betty's not been on the show, but Betty Rose is, uh, is a PM on the Graph Explorer. And the three of them have some videos going through how to use Microsoft Graph Explorer and the, the tips. I learned something new. You can full screen the, the response. I'm tired of scrolling yes. that window. Yes. So thanks, thanks, ladies, for putting that broadcast out there, that, uh, or the, that video stream out there. It was great, great stuff. So apparently you've seen this as well, huh? Yes, absolutely. It's actually one of the most, I wouldn't say hidden, because it's, it's actually right there. Just after we're so used to use the Graph Explorer that we, we don't use it, especially when you're using heavy workloads like, exchange or like list items where there's so many properties and so much, so much data in there. Uh, it's great to have like that full screen code. One of the features that I love the most about it, the Graph Explorer, especially that I'm working so much with that tool, it's basically open all day long on my, on my PC, right? Um, it's the share query. Like if I want to send somebody, hey, look at that query in your tenant, they just click on it, automatically it opens up and it runs it. That's really, really cool. That, that's like developer productivity just right there. Oh, yeah, I hadn't known about that. Obviously, I'm not sharing my queries with too many too many folks right there. But, <laughs> but you know, and so I guess I'm a little bit in a different camp because I I don't use it that often. Because I, I mean, I've got stuff code running, and, and I actually use VS Code for a live customized extension that I like to do stuff that uses my authentication provider for my various tenants, right? So it's not so much. But so when I go to Graph Explorer today, I had a I had a, I got a UPN or a, an object ID. I didn't know who that was. So well, rather than search through the portal, I could just do the quick query, bam, and find who that was. But because I, I, I don't go there that often, I just remember it from when it first came out, all these new features that show up. It's like, oh, hey, I didn't know that was there. So I started clicking around, finding all the goodies there. So great, great stuff. It is. It's an amazing tool. Um, so moving on to some more community links this week, uh, you and I both found this one, and actually Jeremy on vacation found this link as well, putting some more fun into Azure Functions, Manage Identity, and Microsoft Graph from Louise Friese. And I have to say, I don't remember hearing of Louise until six months ago, and she's got 10,000 followers on Twitter. So Louise, you're doing something right. <laughs> well done. Great content. L Louise is awesome. She's like a, an amazing community member that has been around for for a long time now but now she's getting really really deep into like some hardcore stuff with with graph and functions and power apps and all of this and the blog that she has put there is how to utilize manage identity connected to azure functions for microsoft graph calls which is great in some scenarios where you might not have a an app only uh, context where and some of the endpoints don't support app only for uh, uh, yet. And uh, a good example might be like uh, using Planner with 
this. You don't have to log in. The managed identity will be provided for you. You're going to get an access token. And then you're going to be able to use that and automatically call graph with um, with this. And that's just, to be very uh, like honest, when I saw it, I was like, that's a brilliant solution to a very hardcore problem. And I really, really like the approach. Quite simple. And it's all um, um, using PowerShell. So it's really u- reusable. Really, really brilliant blog here by, uh, uh, by Luis on kind of extending uh, scenarios for Graph. Yes, and, and extending work that's been done by others in the community as well. She calls it out. Red Leaf Ford did an article on managed identity, and Yannick did a bunch of a series on managed identity stuff as well uh, after talk, left, after hearing Christos on the podcast. So this is what makes the community great, right? Everyone picks up the pieces and moves it along. And, and again, it's PowerShell in functions, which is not my cup of tea, but I can certainly appreciate that folks who have PowerShell scripts and want to put some automation around them can move those scripts up into the cloud, put them as a function on a timer boom done off we go so nice to see that moving along exactly and it's not here here louise is is she's using powershell as a language with whatever you want to use we also support managed entities with whatever language you want to go python go python you want to go javascript with it like whatever do, do whatever you want that, that's that's where we that's where we're here awesome stuff uh the last link we found this week is the, the beginning of a, a very interesting series christoph humbert has, uh known as path to sharepoint on twitter has a, a blog series that he's writing about the property pain portal wow i have trouble saying that too many of the p's there <laughs> so christoph's series is is talking about the property pain for spfx and I never thought this was an issue, but I can see his point, right? So property pain control. Now, this is Paul not doing them that often. So since you're the SharePoint SME, I'm going to pick your brain a bit. These are the ones that are sort of declarative, but sort of not, right? So if I'm in a web part, I can just put in some, uh, I overwrite a method for property pain controls and it just automatically works for me, right? I call that declarative because I don't have to think. But Christoph's point is what if you want to do some more logic in there? Does that sound right? Have I got that there, right? It's, It's even a little bit more than that. It's we already have a ton of controls that the community has built for to put inside your web part as regular controls. Why wouldn't you use those controls as a property pane control to help users, I don't know, select a list or uh, choose a document or select a user? Those are all controls that were built. Uh, now it's kind of the the fusion of these controls that are for displays in web parts and the controls that are just for configuring the web parts. These were two different set of controls. And with what Christoph is uh, bringing to the table, it creates a single set of, of controls now that you can use, which is brilliant because now you can use the, the work of the community to extend your own your own web part. So that's amazing. That's a great idea. It, it, it's a lot of hard work. I know there's like there's a lot of new components you need to put in, but it's it it was well thought of and I think it's it's a brilliant solution to a, a real, real, real problem. Yes, I, I'm excited to see this. And I had reached out to Christoph and he says not quite ready for him to come talk about it, but we'll get him on when it's there. And so a call to action for listeners. If this is an area in which you have done work or would like to have work done, you can reach out to Christoph on Twitter. And uh, I'm sure that uh, getting it over the line and testing it would be appreciated by him. So great stuff. And thanks, Seb, for coming on, providing some SharePoint expertise to me. You're welcome. I mean, <laughs> full trust solutions, I'm, I'm your man, but this other stuff, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, uh, this week, uh, the episode is me at SharePoint Fest. 
I missed you there this time, buddy. I think uh, yeah. Yeah, you and I talked last time there, but uh, SharePoint Fest was in Chicago a couple weeks back, as I mentioned, and I sat down with Prashant Boyer. He did a session on AI and cognitive services, and there's a lot of mystery around that. So Prashant was gracious enough to sit down and let me ask my, what, what are they questions about? I mean, I know the obvious things like uh, Q&A maker, but he covers all the, the range of what's available. So I was uh, appreciative of him for, for doing that. So hope you all enjoy this. And again, thanks for coming. Coming in, we'll see you next week. Unless you're going to let the boss back, but just elbow him out, and we'll we'll see, right? We'll see, we'll see. I might have a, uh, a little bit side discussion with Jeremy on on if I, I just continue this and and then just continue <laughs> on and 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 be there every week. But no, thanks, uh, thanks, seriously, thanks, Paul, for uh, for having me. Thanks, uh, Jeremy, for uh, the trust in not breaking your podcast. And uh, I'm more than happy to come back if you or Jeremy or any other person wants to hear about what I have to say. I'm always happy to jump on. Awesome. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Cheers. Bye. Today on the podcast, I'm delighted to be sitting across from Prashant Boyer. Thank you, Prashant, for coming on. Thanks, Paul, for giving me the opportunity. It's an honor to be on uh, M65 podcast. Will you introduce yourself to our okay. listeners? Uh, my name is Prashant uh, G. Boyer. Uh, was born and raised in India. I'm in US. I came to United States in 2007 and studied here for a couple of years. And since then, working in uh, the Microsoft uh, space, especially uh, M65. Uh, I am a Microsoft MVP since last five years. Uh, for first couple of years, uh, I was focusing on Microsoft 365, especially SharePoint. I have a long SharePoint history. Uh, and since 2019, I changed my category uh, to AI and playing a lot with cognitive services, uh, Microsoft Bot Framework, and some other related technologies in applied AI side. And so, listener, we're not going to bore you with the old stories of SharePoint from back in the day. I've actually invited Prashant to come on to talk about this AI cognitive services stuff. And so, uh, we haven't really covered it in depth in quite a while on the podcast. So, let's start with what is the AI cognitive services landscape in the Microsoft space these days? Okay. What do you find interesting? <laughs> so, uh, if I had to simplify or oversimplify cognitive services, uh, it's nothing but AI as a service. And in Microsoft, it's called cognitive services. We have similar services from other vendors as well. Uh, like Google uh, has their own name. Uh, Amazon has their own name. IBM has their own name. Fundamentally, it works similar to like graph APIs, where at the end of the day, you have a service. It's a pre-built, pre-trained service, and it's API. And as long as you know how to use API, you can infuse intelligence in your application. It doesn't matter uh, what your role is, uh, like even if you're a developer, hardcore dev, even if you're not dev, if you're, let's say, a low code, no code, or even if you're a business analyst, still you can use these services uh, in your applications. Okay, and so what services are there? I mean, obviously, when I see cognitive services, I'm thinking about how it's recognizing stuff in a picture. But what other cognitive services are out there that folks might be wanting to try? Okay. So cognitive services right now are categorized uh, in four categories. Uh, the number one is decision. Uh, then there is language, there is speech, uh, and then vision. Uh, under decision, we have anomaly detector, content moderator, personalizer. Uh, under languages, which are more popular with uh, M65 folks, uh, it's language understanding, which we use for bot uh, development. Then there is a Q&A maker, which is another popular service, uh, which is used for bot development. And there is a text analytics, where I have seen a lot of practical implementation. Uh, then we have translator. Uh, then under speech, uh, we have text-to-speech, uh, speech-to-text, and speaker recognition. 
and uh, in vision we have computer vision and face api and microsoft will keep adding new services like this is not a definite list uh, you'll see some few more services will get added in future as well is ai really just this, uh, a good replacement for cognitive services or does ai encompass more things than just those kind okay. of services so ai is a really broad term if i had to simplify ai i can simplify ai into two parts one is the real ai where you will be using hardcore data science and machine learning and second part is applied ai uh, so cognitive service is part of applied ai where to use ai you don't need to understand all the machine learning and data science part of it somebody else will do that for you you just uh, use the service and then infuse uh, into the sounds perfect for me <laughs> yes for me as well because i don't have a background in data science or machine learning and that trade is really really hard to master like if you talk with any real data scientist they will say oh you have to go years and take years and years of education plus you have to be good with numbers and so even i prefer to stick more on the applied ai side Okay, so uh, applied AI in, in Microsoft markets these as cognitive services, okay, which makes sense. Now, I, obviously, I've, I've done some work in bots and, mm -hmm. and understand the Lewis and Q&A mm -hmm. maker. That's pretty straightforward things. But some of the other stuff that you talked about, the decision bit, right, is, is that also part of what we're seeing uh, in the new offerings from Microsoft? And we, we had a guest on a week back to talk about the SharePoint syntax, which mm -hmm. uses a lot of AI okay. buzzwords, right? So, so actually, you brought you ask a really good question. Uh, so a lot of people get confused. How are Microsoft services are structured, right? Yeah. So I always tell Azure AI is the core Microsoft AI services. Everything is built there. Like cognitive services, uh, your bots uh, or bot framework is part of Azure AI. And then Microsoft Power Platform or Microsoft 365 team uses those services and then build application on, on top of it on focus audience. Like for example, uh, there is a service called AI Builder and Power Virtual Agent, which is from, from Power Platform, which is built on uh, cognitive services and bot framework, but its focus is more on low code, no code developers. Then SharePoint syntax goes to another level where the focus audience is business analyst, where they have done a lot of plumbing and major work behind the scene. And they just gave us an application which can just easy to use. We don't have to understand anything, no cognitive <laughs> services there, no AI, no data science. You have a working application. You just have to know what needs to be done. And to use that service, you just have to pay the subscription money. Uh, just pay the sub the money. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and so if I'm a developer, you you started talking about well, it's just APIs that I can mm -hmm. call, right? And so I think that kind of appeals to more of the developer, right? Right. The, is the expectation? Do you, in your opinion, is this something that I have an app already that I'm going to augment, or am I starting from scratch and building on AI stuff to start with? Or so what do you see? As as it goes with any application, we should have uh, the end goal in mind. What exactly I would like to do? Uh, I'm, I have more experience in enterprise space. So what's the business problem I would like to solve here? And whether uh, while solving that business problem, if any of these cognitive services or any other service is going to help me or not. And then when it comes to building that, you always have the decision. You have to make that decision. Shall I build everything from scratch or shall I just use that is already built and just pay someone money to get that done? Uh, SharePoint syntax is a good example. Uh, that's a really well-backed service, but you can build a similar service which caters to your need using the cognitive services, as long as you have good developers and you know like how to work around the things and build a better application. And I like the fact that they're in Azure. Obviously, that gives mm -hmm. us a lot of familiarity with, with connecting and stuff. What 
types of services do you see most often or that you have people asking you about most often? Okay. Is it kind of like a pop, I don't want to say they're popular, but okay. you know, developers. So, <laughs> as I mentioned, I have a strong SharePoint and Microsoft 65 background, uh, and most of the projects or work we have done actually involves that. So, in my experience, I have seen a lot of interest uh, in the services which get used a lot in bots and also services that gets used a lot in the productivity side. So when it comes to bot, uh, Lewis is there, Q&A maker service, uh, then speech to text, uh, that gets used a lot. Uh, when it comes to productivity side, uh, then form recognizer is there, uh, then there is uh, text analytics, computer vision. There are a lot of practical use cases we can do uh, with these applications right now. Uh, and SharePoint syntax, if you look at like from the overall or a simplified term, it basically helps you to extract or, or uh, content from existing data. And also it helps you to uh, tag the existing content. Uh, so for that, uh, we can use, like if you if I have to build a similar application from ground up, I can use for that a text analytics API, I can use computer vision API, and I can have a prototype pretty much in less than a day or maybe less than a two hours. That's the thing I demoed in one of my sessions here as well. So this text analytics, what, what does that really mean? Can, uh, that always intrigues me, and I, I want to make mm -hmm. sure we share with that. What, what does it mean to run the text analytics service? Each service uh, will give you, will help you to solve a specific problem. Uh, for example, in text analytics, uh, it helps you to identify what language that text is written. Second thing it does, you does is it helps you to identify what are some of the key phrases are there in that uh, particular block of text. Then also give another thing we can do is we what what's the sentiment value of that text. Now sentiment value will be count, uh, counted as if the statements are positive, then the value tends to be more on the higher side. Uh, if it's negative, then it goes to a lower side. And each of these tasks, you will have a different endpoint that you need to call. And the request that you make will be different. The output or the JSON output will be getting will be different. Okay, so the, the tying this back to this syntax example, if they're finding metadata in a document, that's probably because they're trying to extract the key mm -hmm. phrases or keywords <laughs> out of it, right? My understanding then, of course, the, that's using some of the AI stuff that you and I both don't understand because yes. we're not <laughs> data yes. scientists, right? So, um, is there a way to influence what they were? Because if I work at an organization and I sell a bunch of widgets, mm -hmm. there are some words that are going to be more important to my organization mm -hmm. than, than to the population okay. at large. Is there a way to influence how that So, works? if you go with uh, cognitive services, uh, most of the services, like majority of the services are pre-built. However, few services allows you to uh, customize based on your needs. I know because uh, if you look at the computer vision, uh, there you can have your custom model as well, where you can train it depending on your business need. But I think, unfortunately, text analytics, uh, it's uh, you get what you get. Okay. Uh, SharePoint syntax, I don't know whether it allows you to do that where you can pre-configure. I may be, if I have understanding is correct, it may allow you to do that. But again, it's a it's a product that Microsoft has built on the top yeah. of Cognitive yeah. Service. So yeah. you yeah. can do it with text analytics API, but then you have to do some additional work on the top of that. So you talk about training the model. Is that something that I can do also through the uh, uh, Azure APIs? Or is that something a little bit more complex and obviously That's, you don't want okay. to... So, <laughs> so since uh, cognitive services are mostly pre-built service, and now let's say you would like to build your own model and you have your own data set that you would like to train on that, then there is a different service available in Azure. It's called Azure Machine Learning. Now it's more focused for data science and uh, 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 machine learning engineers. Uh, but one of the advantage of that service is once you build a model, you can deploy that as a web service. That means uh, if a developer is comfortable using the REST API uh, and then you can just have a similar REST API 
which will be using your model. Uh, and as a data, data scientist, I will build that and then publish as, a, uh, publish as a web service. And my developers then will use that web service and then start integrating the custom app. Okay, so if I hire data scientists mm -hmm. or I'm in a certain industry where you can buy a model, I'm sure that right. there's a marketplace out there, I would imagine somewhere yep. um, that, that would then give me the option to host a web service that's using that model? Is that kind of? Yes. Yeah, okay, but that's not necessarily going directly to Azure then. No, no. So yeah. when you go with Azure Machine Learning, the model that you publish as a web service is going to be live in Azure. Okay. Okay. Fascinating stuff. <laughs> totally fascinating. And now you said com computer vision. Mm -hmm. Is that just pictures and video or is there more to it than that? What is that? Uh, so computer vision, uh, it's mostly based on uh, the images. Uh, like it helps you to extract the content uh, from the images. I know it's sometimes hard to visualize what you can do with all these cognitive services. So one thing I always show uh, in my demos is I show the a JFK assassination uh, application that Microsoft has built. It's a demo website where you can search for a few things and uh, most of the records for JFK's assassination are all, uh, let's say, scanned documents or handwritten notes. And what Microsoft has done is they have scanned all those documents, put in Azure Block Storage, and you can search inside all the records. Like if I search for a specific term, then if that term is in a handwritten note somewhere, I can still able to find that. And it uses combination of services, like it uses computer vision API, it uses uh, uh, the Azure search, uh, it also uses a text analytics API. So using the combination of APIs, you can build a really, really powerful applications. So computer vision mm -hmm. is looking at an image, but that image could be a scan of a document. Yes. Right. So it has, like there are some OCR capabilities also inbuilt. Uh, similar OCR capabilities you will also see in Forms Recognizer, which is the latest, uh, it's out there from last two years, but it's one of the newest member in the community services family where if you have a scan received, you can easily extract the content. What's the tip of this received and all, what's the dollar Yeah, we, we've seen that in the OneDrive demos yes. years ago, right? right? But I didn't realize that was computer vision. So mm -hmm. the kind of blurring of the lines there really. Yes. Yeah. Wow. wow. Um, what other what other cognitive services are, are you? You mentioned that you see people using a couple of few mm -hmm. ones, but obviously my experience is not quite as vast. So what's another interesting cognitive services that maybe isn't getting enough experience that you find very helpful? So Lewis is definitely one thing. Uh, QA Maker is there. Uh, they, those mostly get used uh, when you create a custom chatbot uh, using Microsoft Bot Framework. Uh, then I am seeing a lot of interest in Forms Recognizer, uh, especially when Power Platform team uh, launch a product called AI Builder. So what that product does is, and behind the scene, they will still use uh, the cognitive services, different cognitive services, but they will give you a better interface, which is helpful for no-code local developers to quickly build an app, use that uh, service to train based on their data, and quickly integrate uh, that model into uh, Power Automate or Power App. So they can really have an intelligent application built using the no-code, low-code uh, tools. And so the, this AI builder is on any of these services or is it just doing like the form recognition? Uh, so services? not all services are there yet. Uh, form recognition is there, uh, then entity extraction is there. Uh, there is a big list of services out there that is available as part of uh, AI. Builder. Okay, so entity extraction is a new term here you've just thought, <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about. Sorry, this is this is what happens when we talk about these new topics. Right. So what, what do you mean by entity extraction? So let's say if you have a specific use case uh, and you have some entities which you'd like to extract. For example, I have in my company, uh, let's say we have a customized uh, invoices that comes and most of the invoices are, uh, they may not have a proper format. 
uh, one vendor may have invoices and uh, invoice number in some other location of the paper another vendor may have somewhere else and i want to build a system which can extract the correct information and that information may locate anywhere on the page right or on the on the on the invoice so what you can do is you can have entity extraction where you can specify what key value pairs you would like to extract and then you train your model on that one and then once the model is trained uh, then once you feed in new documents you can help it, it helps you to extract that but again um, one thing i want to highlight with all this stuff is machine learning is all about predictions and they may not be hard work 100% of the time so you have to factor into account that okay my model maybe is good enough to recognize 90% of the time but sometimes it's not able to recognize or not able to give what i'm looking for Okay, so there's two things I want to drill into on that, right? So when I when I hear form recognizer, I'm envisioning like I have thousands of forms that all look the same, and I know that you know two inches from the top and one is from the right is going to be a certain thing. But now you're mentioning that I may get invoices from different vendors, and they they're in different formats. Yes. So is that still the form recognizer service, or is that something? So it's a additional. Can, so there is a one other way you can address multiple ways you can address this, but uh, you'll get maximum. Uh, Though it's easier to use that with form recognizer, the way it will work is uh, let's say I have ten vendors that I get invoices from. Then I can use those ten invoice invoices and train my model uh, to let him know that okay, these are the formats I'm typically get, uh, and the future set of whatever uh, the invoices I'll be getting will have pretty much the same structure. So it can learn about that, and then the, uh, it can then give us information whenever we when feed in the okay. new set of. Uh, um, on the entity extraction, you meant that you know some it's not always one hundred percent accurate, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm a developer, those edge cases can inevitably show up at the most inopportune time. So, um, what what can I do, or how do I know if it's not accurate? Okay. What can I do about? Excellent that? question. Uh, I forgot to mention that. So most of these services, whenever you look for something, let's say I'm looking, for example, a computer vision, and if that API is, tells me in that picture Paul is there. It will also come with uh, the score, like how confident uh, that service thinks it's the Paul is in that picture. And then, as a developer, then you can look at the score. If the score is good enough, ninety percent or 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 eighty percent, then yes, then you know okay, it's Paul. If it's not, then you have to build that logic where okay, what shall I do if the if the service is not confident whether Paul is there in the picture or not? Okay, so as as a developer, then I get this value back, and mm -hmm. I have to make a decision based yes. on my app and my business yes. what how to go forward, yes. right? And and then. As you mentioned now, the, a lot of these, if the confidence is low and I want to improve that, mm -hmm. uh, the, the buzzword is go back to retrain the model. Yes. But that, if I'm understanding correctly, it's things like text analytics, I really can't retrain no. the model. Nope. But if I do something with the Azure Machine Learning yes. Service, then I probably can. Yes, that is correct. And then whether I can do that in syntax or AI builder, that depends on whether Microsoft gives me the opportunity. Yes, because it's a specialized service uh, that that product group is offering. And since it's specialized service, then you have to pay some extra money uh, for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Power Platform in my brain means additional licenses. So that, <laughs> right. that, that's true. That's I true mean, it's, they got to make money. I, yeah. I, I totally understand that. Right. Obviously, the, the, the Power Platform you said has AI builder and I can leverage that in the other power apps. Is that or the power platform Automate, application? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That is correct. Is that something I can call directly as a developer? Do you know, or do I have to be inside a, a power automator power app to invoke so that? So I need to check. Uh, don't quote me on this. Whether uh, API support is there for Power Builder, but my understanding it's not because that service is built for integration within Power Platform. Right. right. Okay. Uh, there may be some actions available with Logic Apps. I need to double check on that, but 
as with uh, most of the product groups in Microsoft, uh, if a service is from a particular product group, you will see that services will get very well integrated with other services that are there from the same group. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. for example, uh, this AI builder, it has a really out of the box in, uh, integration available with Power Apps, Power Automate, but you may not see the same thing with say uh, with uh, Microsoft 65. Right. But as we've learned, it's built on top of the Azure service. Yes. So in theory, I could call into the the underlying service perhaps, right? You always have that option. So if I had to simplify this, so let's say uh, cognitive services are the core service where I as a developer have full access how I can consume this service and, and what I do uh, with these APIs and what kind of customization I build. Now, but this service is for developers. What if I don't want to deal with, uh, I don't want to deal with REST APIs at all. I'm not good at that, but I still want to use AI uh, in my application and I want to strictly stick with a low code, no code tools. Then AI Builder is a really good tool for that uh, because that gives me option of, you know, having some uh, AI services, which I can readily integrate with uh, Power Platform products. But again, you need to do some work there, right? Because I had to integrate that with Power Platform products. I had to make sure I train the model. I sign up for that service, whatever Power Automate or Power Apps I'm building, I had to inject my own business logic there. Now, if you want to go one step above where someone just doesn't want to deal with it, let's say a CTO or CIO, like that's too much work. They will go with SharePoint syntax, which is everything is done by the Microsoft 65 team. You just have to find a document like SharePoint sites and that particular product. However, you will bring some premium uh, on because Microsoft is doing bulk of the work and you are just using service as a user. Well, great. Okay. Thanks for that explanation. That kind of helps. Uh, and like I, I, we talked before, I, I certainly want to have developers know what's available, right? So mm -hmm. if, if what you need is generic or simple, can be mm -hmm. done by end users, let them have at it. If I'm a developer and that doesn't work, as we talked about, maybe I have a specific vertical or some vernacular. Mm -hmm. So do I need any special tools or what do I need to get started? Is it just a REST call or is so, it So, excellent question. Uh, so, I met, in the beginning of the uh, uh, talk I'm, uh, or podcast, I mentioned cognitive services are nothing but REST APIs. They are similar like graph APIs, right? So, as long as you know how to use REST APIs and it doesn't matter, uh, you can use any language of your choice. Uh, you can use, uh, you can marry to any platform. It, it, you don't have to be like a Microsoft shop. You can be a, a Google shop or IBM shop or a Linux shop. And plus, you can also use this cognitive services uh, with third-party tools, which allows you to consume REST-based API. For example, if you are using Nintex or if you're using K2, Webcon, or all these uh, latest buzzword RPA tools like UiPath or uh, WinAutomate, so all these tools allows you to consume REST-based API. So there you can use cognitive services. You can use Postman as well, Fiddler. There you go. The sky's the limit. There you go. Which leads me to believe, so the, some like the AI builder or if it's something in the power platform, under the cover is just making a REST call. So yes. in theory I can, okay. And so you have to get good at doing your REST. Yes. <laughs> um, do we have, uh, are you familiar with the SDK support, right? So I'm a C-sharp person. So mm -hmm. I certainly want to have a, a at least someone who's generated this, the, the strong okay. classes for me. Do other So yes, uh, so if you go on Microsoft site, uh, there is a tons of documentation available. Uh, but what I recommend typically is, uh, if you look for documentation online, depending on how you search, you may, may or may not get good results. Uh, and since to use cognitive services, you have to use Azure. My recommendation is first create a service in Azure. And in the left-hand navigation, you'll see the get started link. 
click on that and there you'll see the samples available in C sharp, Java, Python, Ruby, uh, JavaScript because that way you that way you'll find the latest and greatest information and you don't have to like rely on the results that you get in search engine. Um, excellent and and the, the the Azure SDK I know is in a big update mode so mm -hmm. if folks are listening if, if it's not there now I'm sure it will be soon because they, they've undertaken a lot of that so awesome stuff. What did I forget to ask you? <laughs> okay. I'm going to lean on my, my intelligent okay. cohort here. What, okay. what other so, interesting things that should we know about? Uh, so since we, we are, uh, like most of the audience is familiar with Microsoft 65, uh, another area that getting a lot of uh, interest is the chatbot, uh, especially ever since uh, the pandemic has started. Uh, because what this pandemic did last year is virtually like, uh, or within the span of one week or two weeks, uh, entire IT team, whether they were ready or not, they had to support remote work. Some shops were ready for it, some were not. And, and at that point, a lot of companies started using chatbots uh, for their internal help desk, where the chatbots will help you to, uh, to address few of the simple issues. And then for critical issues, then of course, you will use your help desk personal and they will jump in and then they will troubleshoot the ticket. And because of that, I've seen a lot of uh, increase in adoption of chatbots and when it comes to chatbot there are a lot of options available uh, in the market microsoft is one of the vendors uh, there are solutions available from ibm uh, some other vendors and there are some third-party product as well but if you are interested in implementing chatbots in microsoft ecosystem i think uh, mark rickley and uh, stephen came on m65 podcast a few weeks before uh, where mark talked about power virtual agent and stephen talked about the bot framework. So those are the two. And just like cognitive services, bot framework or Microsoft bot framework is the core of bot services in uh, in Microsoft uh, ecosystem. Power Virtual Agent is also built on the top of that. However, the target audience is different with Power Virtual Agent. I'm guessing a lot like we've seen with the AI builder, yes. right? So yes. uh, low code, no code for yes. Power Virtual Agent. Yeah. Yes, but it, at the behind the scene, everything is using Microsoft Bot Framework. And one of the uh, thing that I have seen a lot of confusion about Microsoft Bot Framework is if you use Microsoft Bot Framework, you don't have to uh, deploy to Azure at all you can create a bot and deploy it to somewhere else. Of course, if you deploy it to Azure Bot Service, then you get more integration, tighter integration, and a lot of features. But let's say if you're not a Microsoft shop, but you still want to use Azure Bot Framework, which is an open source SDK, you can deploy your bot to anywhere else uh, as well. Only thing is then you have to just make sure you prepare that infrastructure beforehand. Like if you are build, deploying it to a, a web server, uh, in some other cloud vendor or in your virtual machine, then you just have to install some additional tools to make that happen. Yeah, and I would just add one bit on that. In, in our experience, uh, sometimes these cognitive services like Lewis tends to lean toward the West U.S. data center. So if you're running in Europe or yes, not, so not in the West yes. U.S., um, so, that, so we, we found that hosting in Azure helps because now we're on the Microsoft network and performance yes. is improved. So, so and that, you actually brought a really good point. Uh, one of the things that uh, whenever you're creating the services, uh, the cognitive services, when you create the first time, make sure you select the right location uh, because some of the services will give you different results based on your location. Wow, I wasn't Computer aware of that. Computer right? Vision yeah. is a really good uh, example uh, or Content Moderator is another service which is a really good example. One of the examples I would like to give you on that one is, let's say you create a service in US and another service you created, let's say in uh, Asia uh, and you are using the service to content moderator moderation to find out whether this particular image or photo is appropriate for work or not. And you'll see the cultures in different countries are different. So the score you'll see will be more aligned with that particular region. 
So at one location, one image may be appropriate. Second location, it may not be. So that kind of leads me down the path of what about the, we talk about the either text to speech mm -hmm. or text analytics. Is that multilingual as well? And would I have different yes, results? Yes, excellent question. Uh, so uh, most of the services have multilingual support. Again, uh, you won't be seeing support for each and every language. Uh, there is a good documentation available from Microsoft and you have to go to each service page to find out what languages are supported. But last I have checked, majority of the last 15, like 15 to 20 languages are supported. And I'm from India and we have too many languages in India. <laughs> and even from India, there are like four or five major languages are supported uh, in some of the cognitive services. Have you seen, is there a difference in, in the confidence score on the language stuff based on the region? I mean, I have customers in the Asia Pacific region and obviously some yes. Europe. Uh, and, and so yes, you will be seeing some difference there because Again, uh, essentially, if you look at AI as a holistic, right? Essentially, what we are trying to do is mimic the behavior of a human. If Paul is from US uh, and if I try to use some sarcastic word and if those words are popular in US, he may get it. But let's say if Prashant is from India and I'm trying to use a sarcastic word, but those words are not that common in India, he may not be able to understand that or he may uh, comprehend that very bit differently. The models pretty much work on the similar lines. That's why while creating the service, you had to keep in mind what's the region, the target audience is, and then you had to select the appropriate region. Yeah, so it's not necessarily because I want less network latency, but it could affect how the yes, service, yes. and, and I'm, I'm guessing that's just the, the, the relativity score would be yes. different. I mean, the same result, but yep. the score. That's fascinating, and that's a great tip. Thanks so much for that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, glad I did, I'm glad I didn't know what to ask you and you brought the tip up. So if folks want to interact with you, is there, are you on Twitter or are you, are you a blog? So I, I am on Twitter, uh, but I'm mostly active on LinkedIn. Okay. I'm not that active on Twitter these days. Uh, and wherever you go, I try to use the same handle, whether it's on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter, it's PG and my last name, B-H-O-Y-A-R. Okay, well, we'll certainly put a link to your LinkedIn profile on the show. Thanks so much for coming. That was great stuff. To, and uh, I'm, I love it when I learn new things. Now I just have to find time to go kick the tires and do it. So thanks thank, so much for coming th on. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, me. Uh, thanks for giving me the opportunities. And I would like to give a huge shout out to M65 developer podcast team. <laughs> this is one of my favorite podcasts and I'm listening to this from last, oh my God, six or seven years. So thank you very much, Paul. Keep oh, doing it. Uh, thanks, awesome so. thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at m365devpodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 